following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is the beginning of a sermon series entitled Living in the Vine. Among the many well-known sayings of Jesus are the so-called I am sayings, of which there are seven altogether. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. I am the light of the world. And I am the vine. That image of Jesus as the vine will be the central motif in this sermon series. Let's be for a moment in a spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Jesus often used images from the surrounding world in order to help people to grasp spiritual truths. You can imagine that when Jesus said, for example, I am the good shepherd or I am the gate for the sheep, he and his listeners might very well have, have uh, been standing in view of a sheep pen with the shepherd and sheep. Such an image was a, a common sight in the ancient uh, world. Or when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches, there might very well have been a vineyard in the background. There are, of course, vineyards today here in Northeast Ohio near us, but, but everyone can grasp this image no matter what their surroundings, because we all know what happens when you lop a branch off of a tree or a plant. The branch withers and dies. I am the vine, you are the branches, is a powerful and clear image of our need to be connected to Christ. In a fundamental way, of course, we are all connected to God, whether we acknowledge it or not. God is the source of our life and everything that we are able to do. As the Apostle Paul observed, in God we live and move and have our being. But it is the human tendency to forget God and to imagine that we are all sufficient. People so often want to think that they are the source of all that they have gained and all that they can yet do. Thomas Wheeler, who was the CEO of Mass Mutual, a major insurance and financial services company, told a story about a time years ago when he and his wife were on a trip out west and they pulled off to get gas at a remote gas station. Thomas went off to stretch his legs then noticed that his wife was engaged in an animated conversation with the gas station attendant. Several minutes later, as Thomas and his wife drove off from the station, the attendant waved and said, it was great talking with you. Thomas asked his wife if she knew the man, and she said that, yes, in fact, they had gone to high school together and had dated steadily for a year. Thomas said, boy, you're sure lucky that I came along. <laughs> if, 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 if you had married him, you'd be the wife of a gas station attendant instead of the wife of a chief executive officer. She replied, no dear, if I had married him, he'd be the chief executive officer. 
and you'd be the gas station attendant. Sometimes we want to take credit for what really should be ascribed to another. And this is very true in our human relationship with God. It is only God's enablement, enablement that, that, that provides for us to actually accomplish anything. And yet the human story is one in which people have continually denied God and imagined that they could do it all on their own. The prophet Jeremiah lamented this situation in that passage we heard a few moments ago. As he said, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make themselves their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. What happens ultimately when people forget God and just trust in themselves? Jeremiah continues, they become like a shrub in the desert, living in parched places in a lonely salt land. To be alienated from God is to be cut off from the fullness of life, to become spiritually dried up. Jesus created the same picture in the image of the branch cut off from the vine. If we cut ourselves off from God, we spiritually wither. In contrast, Jeremiah said, blessed are those who trust in the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, or be anxious in a drought. Its leaves shall stay green, and it does not cease to bear fruit. That image of the tree planted by water, able to thrive even in the midst of a drought, is an image that appears multiple times in the Old Testament. It's a powerful picture of what it means to be connected to God that we draw upon the life-giving water of God's grace so that even when trouble comes, we can still flourish because we are sustained by God. Jesus builds upon this Old Testament imagery with his picture of the vine and the branches. It's an even stronger image of connection as the branch, when connected to the vine, is sustained in life and flourishes. There's an old story about a group of Arab tribesmen who had fought on the Allied side during World War I and who, in the aftermath of the war, were brought from the Arabian desert to pay a visit to Paris. The tribesmen, who had lived their whole lives as Bedouins in the desert, were astonished by everything that they saw in Paris but what impressed them the most, more than anything else, were the faucets in the hotel bathrooms. The idea that you could turn a lever and out would flow endless, fresh, clear water was just marvelous. They wanted to take some faucets back with them to the desert. <laughs> but of course, someone had to explain that the faucets could not do anything on their own. They only worked when they were connected to a vast, though invisible, water system. So we need to be connected to God. That connection happens through Jesus Christ, who overcomes our alienation from God. Even though through our sin and our spiritual forgetfulness we may cut ourselves off from God, Jesus reaches to us to bring us back into fellowship with God, 
through Jesus, we are connected anew to the vine. And it's in connection with Christ then that God's power can flow through us, God's purposes finally can unfold within us. The end result of that connection to God is finally pictured in the same way in the Old Testament imagery of Jeremiah and the vine imagery of Jesus. Jeremiah said that the tree does not cease to bear fruit. And Jesus said, those who abide in me bear much fruit. The purpose of a vine and a vineyard is to bear fruit, and thus the image of bearing fruit is a picture of finding one's purpose and making a positive impact on the world around us. The astonishing thing about the message of Jesus is that even the most ordinary people can be a part of God's purposes and can make a real impact in the world when they are connected to the vine. That truth can be seen with particular clarity in the story of the first disciples. Following the crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples were a pretty good illustration of Jesus' statement that apart from me, you can do nothing. The disciples were small, weak, not in any position to make any sort of impact in the world, and with Jesus having physically departed from them, it did not look as though they would ever amount to anything. But the disciples were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that spiritual connection with Christ, they were enabled to make an enormous impact. As the disciples spread the gospel and began to transform the Roman world, they became an inspiring example of Jesus' principle that those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. All this is great encouragement to us that as we stay connected to Christ in faith, his spirit will flow with power through us. Our lives can bear fruit today. But there's one other very interesting aspect of, De of Jesus' teaching in this regard. In his vine and branches imagery, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Every branch that bears fruit, God prunes so that it will bear more fruit. In any vineyard, one of the most important activities is the careful pruning of the vines, which results finally in the greatest growth of the grapes. I have to think that if a grapevine had feelings, pruning would not be especially comfortable. For Christians, God's pruning might mean the cutting away of bad habits or bad attitudes or misplaced priorities. The process of personal development may at times be uncomfortable, but God's purpose is that we might grow as God's people so that we can abundantly bear fruit. The early apostles saw the challenges of life with exactly this kind of perspective, that they were occasions for us to shed what is unworthy in life and to spiritually grow. As James said, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because the testing of your faith produces endurance so that you may be mature and complete. And Paul said, know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The key in all this is that we are connected to the vine. It is in connection with Christ 
that our lives take their proper shape and that we can make an impact for good in the world around us. The words of Jesus continue to hold true for us. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The vine and branches image thus strongly encourages us to recognize that we will find life in Christ. And we're not going to find what we most deeply need apart from Christ. In this respect, the image directly challenges one of the most popular spiritual notions of our time, namely, that it does not really matter what sort of religious or non-religious path you are on. The popular idea today is that when it comes to spirituality, just do whatever feels good for you. Now, certainly there are many areas of life where there are different approaches that one can take which will all produce a good result. There are a lot of different ways to cook ribs and have them come out tasty. There are a lot of different ways to arrange flowers and have them look beautiful. There are many different ways to cut hair and have a good result, unless you are cutting my hair, in which case it's a lost cause. <laughs> Especially in areas of style and taste, you can choose your own creative approach and find success. But there are other areas of life where there is only one approach that will actually work. In 1969, when our astronauts were approaching the first moon landing, they could not just choose a course that looked good to them. There was one course that would bring a successful landing. And even the slightest deviation would result in disaster. They were highly attentive to being on the right track. One summer many years ago, when I was working at Camp Wanaki, there was a teenage boy on staff who had been hired to mow the grass. One day, the camp maintenance director, a crusty old guy named Merle Savage, told the boy that he needed to put oil into the riding lawnmower. Well, this kid had never put oil into anything, but he was too intimidated by Merle Savage to ask any questions. So he went up to the mower, opened up the engine compartment, and he noticed, of course, that there was more than one cap opening into some part of the engine. He chose the one that looked right to him, and he poured oil into the radiator. This did not work. It created quite a mess, actually. Merle was not pleased, although in the end, Merle had mercy on the kid, which is why there's a retreat center now at Camp Wanaki named after Merle Savage, because he spent decades working for the camp, putting up with this sort of thing, and just persisting in, in grace and commitment. The point is that sometimes you cannot just do what feels right for you and expect to get a good result. There is one way that actually works. In the Bible, we are dealing with the most difficult and critical problem that humanity faces, our spiritual brokenness, our alienation from God, 
which leads to endless strife and agony and trouble with one another, and it all ends finally in death. We could dream up all sorts of approaches to try to solve that human problem, and indeed history is full of a great many answers that people have put forth for that human situation, some of which have just brought disaster. Recently, my family was traveling in Peru, and we visited the ruins of a couple of Moche temples near the city of Trujillo. The Moche lived in the early first millennium, long before the Incas ever appeared. The Moche believed that there was a god of the mountain who needed to be appeased through human sacrifice. They would capture enemy combatants in battle and take them bound to the temple, depicted in temple reliefs. There they would slit their throats and pour out their blood to the god. This did not work. Their society encountered increasing problems, and they finally gave up on the god of the mountain. Their religion, their culture took a whole new direction, although that did not end up working out well either. The story of the Bible is the story of how God ultimately provides the answer for our human problem, and the answer is Jesus Christ. It is Christ who can heal our human brokenness. It is Christ who can bring us into fellowship with God and lead us finally to live rightly with one another. It is Christ who brings us into wholeness of life and brings us at last into life everlasting. Christ is the vine. We need to be connected with Christ. But as we place our faith in Christ, one of our human temptations is to then start passing judgment on other people as to whether they are connected to Christ. There's a story about a Baptist who comes upon a man who is preparing to jump off a bridge. The Baptist quickly intercedes and asks the man if he is religious. Yes, I am religious, the man says. So am I, says the Baptist. Are you a Christian or a non-Christian, asks the Baptist. Christian, the man replies. So am I, says the Baptist. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant, answers the man. So am I, exclaims the Baptist. Are you Baptist or other Protestant? Baptist, says the man. So am I. Are you regular Baptist or Southern Baptist? Regular Baptist, replies the man. So am I. Calvinist or free will? Free will, the man says. So am I. Fundamentalist or traditionalist? Fundamentalist, so am I, says the Baptist. Running water or baptistry? Running water, the man says. Baptistry, says the Baptist, and kicks the man off the bridge. People are often inclined to claim that they are the only ones connected to Christ, and they want to kick everybody else off the bridge. But even as the New Testament proclaims that Christ is the answer, it also proclaims, in many ways, that the working of Christ is far broader than what we may be inclined to imagine. Is it possible that people who do not identify as Christian may yet connect with the reconciling love of God 
that comes to its full expression in Jesus Christ? That is a large and complex question, and I do not have time to address it this morning. But I have addressed the question thoroughly in the book that we just recently published, entitled Other Sheep Not of This Fold. The book addresses the whole issue of the centrality of Christ and the potential salvation of people who do not overtly profess belief in Christ. That book is available right now at our church after worship in the atrium uh, or anytime and also through Amazon. In the end, the vine and branches teaching of Jesus does not call us to pass judgment on the spiritual condition of others. It calls us rather to take spiritual action ourselves, to connect ourselves with Christ in faith. Because Jesus is the vine. He is, as he says, the way, the truth, and the life. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give thanks that although at times we wander in the wilderness, you reach out to us with wondrous grace. You seek after us in Jesus. You come to us with forgiveness, with renewing love, with saving power, with wondrous promise, all of which you pour out upon us in endless measure Lord, inspire us to respond in faith, to open our hearts to how you would work in us today, that we may be drawn more fully into connection with you so that we may live in the wondrous life that flows from you and in the promise, the sure promise of life everlasting. We thank you, Lord, for how you draw us together into the fellowship of the church so that we are like vines in one great vineyard bearing abundant fruit. We thank you for how we can support each other and we do reach out to persons in our church who are in times of illness, praying especially this morning for Tim Smith and Greg Curtin. And praying also for people who are in times of grief, continuing to lift up the family of uh, Brad Dickerson, giving thanks, O oh Lord, for Brad's many years of witness and service in the life of this church and commending him into your everlasting arms. We thank you for the connection of the broader church and continue to, to lift up fellow United Methodists praying this morning for our fellow United Methodists at the Lakemore United Methodist Church. We thank you for how we can reach out into a hurting world today. We give thanks for the gift of new life, giving praise especially this morning for the birth of, of, of Caden Collier, asking your blessing, O oh Lord, upon this family and upon all families as we continue to grow in many ways often ways beyond our own understanding, as your spirit is at work among us, leading us beyond our own capacities to grow in the wonder of life and promise that we have in you. Guide us, O oh Lord, as we face the challenges of life today to recognize that we do not have to do it all on our own. We can look to you in faith. We can open ourselves to your presence and power. We can live in connection with the vine letting your spirit flow within us, leading us to flourish and to bear fruit for the kingdom today. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. 
For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.